It's Monday the 5th of October 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. Um, I'm joined outdoors on this very pleasant autumn day by Jules Chambers, uh, creator and host of All Things Iceland, an award-winning podcast and YouTube channel that talks about Icelandic nature, culture, history and language. Welcome to you. Thank you, Alex. Um, now, at the start of today, I'm sure everyone's noticed, um, the Civil Protection Agency put the national alert level back up to emergency after nearly five months at the very comfortable danger level. <laughs> um, the emergency level apparently relates only to how vital public services operate and has little impact on people's daily lives. However, separate to this, Iceland also strengthened its anti-contagion rules at midnight at the same time. Um, we're not quite back to March and April, but not far off it, really. Um, in other not unentirely related news, uh, the Finance Minister submitted his 2021 budget bill and predicts a 264 billion kroner deficit next year. That bill is a major component of the autumn term of Althingi, which starts next. Oh, started last week, sorry. Um, opinion polls show that little change in the support levels for each party at this stage. The new constitution remains in the spotlight, uh, and supporters of the 2012 referendum decision held a protest outside Althingi this weekend, as well as presenting artworks, um, asking where their new constitution is. And finally, September was colder, windier and wetter than average this year, according to the Met Office. So, where should we begin? Yeah. Well, just in terms of the deficit, I think that it's appropriate what the finance minister is doing, just like from looking at tourism and I worked in tourism in marketing, so mm -hmm. it's pretty much dead at this point and coronavirus in so many aspects is ruining the economy, but I think it's amazing that they're taking the look at it as investment and not cuts because, I mean, everyone's already feeling the tightening around their throat of how things are going and investing in innovation and infrastructure, especially here, is really important. It just, in my mind, kind of depends on which specific things they're investing in uh -huh. and uh, specifically like in individuals and uh, education, mm -hmm. healthcare. I did see that they're deciding to do some healthcare investments, but it's like, okay, there's a 15 billion ISK, but 12 billion is going specifically to Landspeedly for construction. But how many people are going to be suffering from long-term health effects based off of coronavirus, right? So is that being taken into account? And for me, that's like a really big thing, right? As, um, so I find that part super helpful, just outlook-wise. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's a long road and it's supposed to be, I think, until 2025 that where <laughs> this investment is supposed to be happening and being at a deficit or at least getting out of the deficit. I'm super concerned about how we're, things are going with the coronavirus, the uptick. I mean, if you just look at the curve, mm -hmm. we're on the way up. So we haven't gotten to the peak yet. Mm -hmm. And with the amount of people that are still outside of quarantine who are being tested positive for the virus it's like it almost feels like inevitable that like a ton more people are going to get it right well i mean this weekend they were saying it was getting on for three quarters of people who were not in quarantine and yeah. that is worrying yeah super scary and it's just it feels like you could be a person walking around that's asymptomatic like you just don't necessarily know and you also are 
I had a lot of plans for this week, <laughs> meaning not necessarily meeting with a, a ton of people, but just the idea of going out mm -hmm. and being in other, another space, going to the grocery store. Everything feels so much more riskier and similarly to how I felt in April and probably other people too with this anxiety hanging over you. It's like, you know, are my kids going to come home and bring the virus back to me? Like in Moso, where I live, which we're, we're walking now, really beautiful nature walk. Yeah, there's snowy, dusted Essien to our right mm -hmm. and trees with birds singing in on all sides. Very nice. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Not, not as much as Iceland as people would expect <laughs> sometimes, but in Helgafetskole, which is just nearby where I live, the whole school is now in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, it's, and I was like, what? This is ridiculous. And the idea that children on average have not been, you know, as affected, but that's changing too now. So it's just like a, a lot of concern and it's hard not to feel like the weight of coronavirus coming back down on all of us. And I know everyone's getting tired of it. Like I had like a big, you know, sigh of <laughs> being like, let me just take a deep breath. This sucks, but at least things are being done. And I, I feel bad for the business owners when it comes to bars and rest, not restaurants. They're not as deeply affected, but still having to close down the gyms. Like it's, it sucks to get back to some type of normalcy like we had in the summer. Mm. And then all of a sudden just like the door gets slammed shut on you again. Mm. It's yeah. I don't, I don't know what's worse. It's like continuously being in a state where you're locked down or having some kind of like glimpse of freedom <laughs> and then being shut down again right it's like, it's like you know what it feels like and it's like nope let's Sorry. talk about the difference between now and the spring mm -hmm. um because it's we're, we're back down to this 20 person limit again yeah which is the same um the bars nightclubs pubs casinos gyms closed again that's the same um but for example the swimming pools are not closing completely and the two meter rule is is still a one meter rule, right. which will make a difference, won't it? Mm, or will it? Had, that's a good question. I don't know, and I'm wondering why that was the case. Like, why not go back to two meters? Mm. Because in Iceland, on average, people are usually a little bit too close when they're in, like, the grocery stores and things like that. So the two meters, I think, gives us like in your mind, it feels like it should be a lot more, even though one meter is like, probably decent enough for people who normally avoid being in close contact. But here, it happens way too often where people get too close. Mm. And I was in the grocery store on Saturday and there were people who were definitely just walking around like it was no big deal. And I was just like, um, I know it goes into effect Monday, right? But that doesn't mean that now it doesn't matter. It's not like the, the virus is waiting until Monday mm. to be like, all right, now we're gonna strike harder. So there is like mindset wise, it, uh, why not two meters? You know, like why, well, I, don't, I don't know the I've reasoning been, behind it. No, I'm assuming there's some science to it. Um, they obviously, they analyze the spit the pattern. The exactly. Yeah. And, and, and maybe they've realized that there is less danger. They fall to the ground quicker than they thought. Um, I hope I so. don't know, I hope, I hope that's what it is. Yeah. But from a business point of view, for example, in a restaurant, initiating a two meter rule between all the tables is really hard mm -hmm. and I think I suppose a one meter rule makes it a lot easier and you're more likely to be able to stay open possibly I mean if that were the case though restaurants can still serve alcohol and bars only serve alcohol obviously right but if a bar could have it two meters 
and a restaurant could have it two meters, why can't they both stay open? And I've heard this argument. I'm not saying I'm for people being in, in bars, uh, being in close proximity, mainly because it's true. It lowers your inhibitions when you drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. So you're more than likely to forget that you need to keep the space. But that can happen in a restaurant too, right? So I do think it actually is better to have the two meter rule in closed uh, proximity, meaning a, a building or a place where you, you know, you're gonna be eating or staying for a long period of time, just because, I, like they were talking about in the Irishman, the pub, that it was droplets and whatever else. And like, who knows how many people were in there, not necessarily close to a bunch of individuals that had the virus, but they just happened to be in the same room and for an hour, right? So it's just enough time. So I do think two meters, in my opinion, you know, this is non-scientific <laughs> like, analysis at the moment. Protecting droplet um, infection is the reason behind making people wear masks when yeah. the one meter rule cannot be applied. Um, another thing that wasn't the case in spring, as of today, now bus users have to wear masks, mm -hmm. um, even if the bus isn't full. Um, which I'm viewing as a, you know, a relatively harmless, relatively positive thing and yeah. will hopefully do some good. Um, apart from the fact that people aren't doing it, I've noticed today. Oh, really? So it's not being enforced? It, no, it should be being enforced. It is mandatory. But I've seen bus drivers without masks on. Mm. I've seen plenty of passengers without masks on. And I've seen lots of people with them under their nose. Ah, uh, Yeah. That is really frustrating and annoying because obviously this is a community effort. But like you mentioned, it is fascinating to me that they're erring on the side of caution in certain regards, meaning like on the bus, mm -hmm. but like in a, like we just mentioned, like in a restaurant, you can still be one meter. <laughs> so it's like, this is, it's, it's a strange, like pick and choose which one. Granted, I understand that some of this is like economically um, based, meaning like more customers can be in that restaurant or whatever else. But people's health, and like we mentioned earlier, in the long term, mm -hmm. this is a big problem. And we're hearing about people who are long haulers, who get the virus, and they still have the effects for many, many months. Who knows how long this will affect their life, if they ever be like fully recovered, if they'll have you know, lung damage or something like that. So yeah. I think across the board, erring on the side of caution is much smarter. And that's what I plan on doing. On that subject, I read at the weekend that Everyone who has ever been diagnosed with COVID-19 in Iceland is being invited to take part in a study to answer these questions. Yeah, yeah, which I think is great and a very proactive approach because when you look at other places that maybe aren't thinking of the future, like the U.S. where I'm from, <laughs> meaning like because they're just so deeply like neck deep in fighting the virus and just trying to get people to cooperate that they're missing these opportunities where, you know, people are going to have problems. There's no doubt about it. It's already, it's already present. I mean, people who've had it in March are still feeling like crap now. Mm. And some of these people were like athletes. <laughs> so I'm a little afraid for that part. Just like I mentioned with the finance, finances and the budget, not taking more into account the cost of health later. Yeah. It's a balancing act, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you also mentioned the economy and now they're looking at They've, they've upgraded the unemployment prediction that maybe there'll be up to 25,000 unemployed by the end of the year, mm -hmm. uh, which is 11 or 12%, which is very high, certainly by an Icelandic standard. I yeah. don't think it's ever been that high before. Absolutely. And in a place like Sudernes, 
where the unemployment is the highest. I think it's like 13% or something quite high now, right? It's just how much more, you know, this continues, it's only going to raise and it's going to be certain areas that are just so deeply affected and how are we going to deal with that, right? Like, and if tourism doesn't come back until later in 2021, a lot of this depends on the vaccine. It depends on if people decide to take the vaccine, yeah. even though I think it was like a very large percentage of Icelanders, close About to like 90%. 90 percent, yeah, said that they would take it. And but still, like, what is the <laughs> when does it really come? And it doesn't mean that tourism comes back just immediately. It's not like a, a fix. No. You know, it's, it's a it's a putting a little bit of a like future investment in the country getting back to some type of normalcy. But tourism was such a huge part. It has been such a huge part that we're, yeah, we're looking at a, a really long depression, potentially. Yeah, and e- even in the even in the dictionary definition of that, the, the, the depression is a certain length of time of recession. And yeah, I think you're right. Um, always opportunities, though. Yeah. They yeah, are absolutely. bringing in new funds. Um, I know one example is the Innovative Food Fund, mm-hmm. and they've put out several hundred million kroner of grants for this, for people to apply to try and increase local food production and obviously unemployment um, in that field. Yep. That's positive, and I'm sure there's many, I hope there's many other examples of that going on. Yeah, absolutely. I, as much as this so started off as being kind of like sounding so sad and pessimistic, I do have a lot of hope for the future. I'm on average a optimistic person. I say on average just because, you know, through this period, it's been it's been dipping, right? It's yeah. been very difficult. <laughs> um, but like you mentioned, yeah, the investments in, specifically in things in Iceland, and I think it's also really fascinating to see the growth in domestic consumption by Icelanders, mm-hmm. when, specifically when uh, restrictions had eased. It, it was one of the, at the point where I was a little bit like, whoa, people are really looking to spend money, mainly because they're, they can't leave the country, which made me think about the fact that what kind of vacations were some people taking where they're like, oh, we can't travel. We're going to buy a new car. We're going to buy a new house. We're going like, to do all these things that uh, I would assume that would not be the same amount you'd spend on a vacation. But now I'm questioning all of this. But of course, it helps that they've lowered interest rates. And just in general, there are a lot of like deals happening in the country. So there's a lot of Im- economic stimulation, which I think is great. But like you mentioned, in terms of just investments in uh, the future here, I- I'm super excited about that. And just the opportunities that Iceland can build itself away from relying so heavily on tourism in order to be like this more innovative country. Because there's a lot of innovation happening here already. Yeah. Arts, culture, um, technology, tons in technology, actually. So why not continually, continuously invest in that? It's always been a question of what you can do here because, yeah, we've got great natural resources, but it's a small, highly paid workforce. Yeah. So you couldn't just invite Toyota to come and open a car factory. Yeah. That would be silly pointless but there are yeah if you can have a few hundred companies that or a few thousand companies even that employ one or two people mm-hmm. that's having the same impact possibly even more impact and there are loads of opportunities yeah absolutely and just the idea of remote work more as well so lessening overhead 
yeah. for companies is a huge deal as well because obviously, like you mentioned, the workforce is highly paid. And then on top of that, there are tons of taxes that come along with having property, having to pay, you know, electricity isn't as, as expensive, but still, there's a lot that comes along with owning a business. And I think the more that they cut down on what feels like the old way of doing business mm -hmm. and innovate in that way too, you're kind of freeing up where people can work from and how much even has to go into like, running the business in the first place. So a tech business, you know, being digitally or uh, doing digital, doing business digitally or, or having meetings and things like that digitally, it cuts down a lot on money, so. Yeah. And, and, and barriers to like, literal borders can disappear. You could, yeah. you could run an, an American company, for example, in Iceland, if you wanted to, online, and people wouldn't even know it was in Iceland. Exactly. And there are people who are doing it. It's just a matter of feeling like you have the freedom to do it. They would take some also innovations in banking too, like because after the crash there was so there were so many restrictions that were put in place. Just the just being able to transfer money, for instance, it was like such a pain in the butt. But that has been easing too. And I think, you know, the more we become a global society instead of just so insularly Iceland or insularly the US or the UK, you know, like, and, and really, like you mentioned, like, let the borders disappear. There's a lot more opportunities there. Of course, regulation is necessary, but there's a lot more opportunities than I think not opportunities. Yeah. Some island countries, I'm not saying um, any, like, sorry, I'll start again. Some island countries in the Caribbean, and I know Bermuda as well, mm -hmm. have been, um, Adv actively ac advertising for people to come and live there temporarily to remote work yeah. on the beach. Um, maybe we could look at that. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm in a travel group that people have been, you know, posting about this, like meaning like Bermuda. I think it's Antigua. Like there are a lot of them, and it's places that I would love to go to. Just you know, to be a, a what is it called, a snow bunny or something like that? Not snow bunny, but like um. Snowbird, when you travel from somewhere oh, in, in, during mm. the winter to, to somewhere warmer. Snow bunny. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not, it's not it at all. It sounds way um, more sexual. But what, I meant, <laughs> but what I meant is that you, yeah, travel, travel somewhere warm when mm. winter comes. And I don't know if that's something Iceland would really do. I mean, there's a lot more restrictions to some people being able to come here and resources maybe even for housing those people <laughs> because there's already an issue with low-income housing. But they're, like I mentioned with the tech sector, they are trying to recruit people who are like, you know, have these advanced degrees or special abilities to come and work in tech here. So that kind of opens up things as well, you know? So Iceland in its own way, they haven't, I don't know how much they've really pushed it, but in their own way, they have been like, let's get more innovation in here by bringing in, you know, like getting rid of the brain drain that we're having right now. That's another issue in terms of healthcare though, right? Because brain drain with doctors here mm. is super sad because they're not getting paid as much as they would maybe in other Nordic countries. So they're leaving. And another investment in healthcare would be paying the healthcare workers great salaries so that it's worth it for them to stay here and help continuously innovate in the healthcare sector. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a constant struggle manning the hospitals, isn't it? Yeah. Um, public sector industries tend to have an easier time of it when the economy is bad, though. Um, mm. For example, preschools is a big one. 
and they have a much easier time finding staff when there's high unemployment obviously yeah. and nursing too um, which is kind of a silver lining I guess although yeah. Yeah. a lot of people are going back to school yeah I mean it's record numbers this year okay. <laughs> there are record numbers this year at House School Islands that have registered so that's pretty amazing just the fact that people are realizing okay I do need to go and maybe get a job that's a little bit more like um, protects me when there's economic downturns. So like you mentioned, healthcare, schools, like all of these have to continuously still run. Yeah. And it, this, this with sorry, with the universities and schools, that is a part of the COVID response, isn't mm -hmm. it? The government's actually put extra money into this. Yes, exactly. So that is also a really good thing. So people are realizing that there's opportunities for them but also strengthening industries where maybe they have been struggling in the past and just because of the response for for covid so i mean it's, it's a silver lining but it's like will when these people finish school are the opportunities there for sure for them that's my you know it's like how many people are going in maybe to the same things i don't know the numbers but i'm curious to see how that plays out later in terms of when people graduate or finish with a certificate or some type of a degree and if they can all be working in a similar sector you know that when it happened in the banking crisis um people did the same thing they went off to university and you know three four years later they're on the work market and that time it worked out it yeah. was it was uh, a good upturn then um wait and see this time yeah that's good to hear mm. i was also looking into like the spanish flu and how like after the spanish flu happened there was the roaring 20s so i'm also looking forward to like the amazing party that we're all gonna have <laughs> and the good time around the world when this is finally over <laughs> yeah i just hope it doesn't end in a world war uh, I mean, with... Okay, I'm... So I'm bringing it back down again, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. It just made me think about the US and, like, how there it's already so divisive because with Trump, who is now with COVID, not surprisingly, but, you know, <laughs> such is life, uh, it's getting to a point where there is, like, this weird division happening around the world of, like, you hear these more extreme voices coming out, and feeling emboldened because they see like you know i hate to say the leader of the free world but like that's essentially how the u.s is represented in the world mm. at least for now and that part makes it so much tougher to feel like wow there's so many people who are against us like being in unity right and when covid is over so like people who have access to the vaccine mm -hmm. countries wise like this is going to pose such a huge problem for nations that can't afford it that can will continuously to be underdeveloped even maybe like more so go down in economic depression because they can't get the vaccine or you have like yeah like you mentioned like wars breaking out for different reasons resources wise so yeah it's uh <laughs> it could be a really awful time or it could be you know somewhat good <laughs> like it's silver lining we can still pin some hopes on on finding unity and yeah that this will be a rallying point a, a moment of change for the world yeah. um it could still be like that it yeah. should be like that um should we cover a different topic briefly yeah, the constitution? Well, yeah 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 are you, are you have you been following the constitution battle yeah so i'm in the facebook group about the new constitution and it's been really interesting to follow how that's been going, mm. mainly because there's a struggle happening with like feeling like, okay, we're fighting for 
getting this October 20th, 2012 referendum acknowledged and moving forward with the fact that, okay, there were six questions that were asked and why is it that we're not, like voters were in favor of these six questions, which I think it had to do with like having a new constitution. Um, I don't remember all of them, but the whole point is it was awesome to see that this happened and disappointing to see that the government ignored it and has continuously ignored it. Why? Why? I think it doesn't work in their favor. So when you think about the people who are in power, like one of the things the new constitution talks about is giving back the economic power to the people. So there are very small amounts of people, families in Iceland who have billions in their pockets every year, just from fisheries, for instance, and that gives them a lot of control control over media, control over in politics, and it also means that when there's corruption that happens, they somehow can get out of it, right? Or go back to business as usual. Sam Hedier being a good example of that. You know, you, I thought when this happened, I was like, oh, whoa, scandal, this is crazy, CEO stepping down, and it's like, oh, and he's back. <laughs> you know, and it's like, wait, what, what is going on here? There are no consequences, or, you know, like the Panama Papers and, and things like that. So this is really frustrating, obviously, for people and feeling like we're working in a system that reminds people too much of the U.S. And I only speak of it that way because that's where I'm from. It could be similar to other nations as well. But it isn't getting as much attention as it deserves, considering the impact, the positive impact it would have in Icelandic society. Mm -hmm. So not just giving, of course, the you know economic power back to the people, but also when it comes to democracy here, and, you know, if, I think part of the new constitution says that if an individual, so just a normal person, wants to uh, get a law uh, acknowledged or passed in Althinki, they need 10% of positive, you know, support from the public. Same thing with stopping a bill. So that's actually like really amazing. You think of like a democratic society, that really is democratic. It's at the same time probably very worrying for politicians to think that people would have that power. Because there are some things that, you know, when you're being supported by really wealthy people <laughs> or, you know, your party might have a specific idea in mind about how the country should be run or whatever else, that would be that would potentially stop you from being able to get those things passed or to get, you know, whatever ideas that you had run through Parliament. So how, how did it work out, though, that we had this referendum and that it wasn't accepted, that nothing happened? How does that even happen? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not 100 percent sure about that, just because this is a part of Icelandic society that I feel like gets a little bit blurry for me because it's as if and, and I can understand it from being in the U.S. too. But at the same time, it's like when uh, the crash happened and the pot and pan revolution happened, you know, everyone was like, oh, they jailed the bankers and they put in a new constitution. That was the marketing, right? Like, this is what got put all over the world. And then when you look at it, it's like, yes, some bankers got jailed. And yes, their constitution was written, but it wasn't put through. Why? And it's like, well, 
things kind of went back to some type of normal. Like the economy was doing much better at this time. Tourism was booming. People's minds just like went somewhere else. They didn't continue. Like this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So the continued support to say, we have to stay on this. We have to continuously put pressure on the people that are representing us. And this happens in the US too. Like you get super excited and emboldened. And right now with coronavirus, people are able to focus on things because there are not enough sporting events happening, like all these other distractions. But uh, with the referendum, I think there were still just so many distractions and people were just like, eh. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, assume, I'm assuming that meaning like I wasn't here then, mm -hmm. so I can't speak to it exactly. But this is part of human behavior, unfortunately, is that you kind of go back to the, the normal that you had before. And it can sometimes be easy, especially in the good times, to forget why this specific thing was so important to continuously push forward. And I feel like that now is what people are just like trying to dig in and be like, look, you don't forget <laughs> we had such a terrible time. You know, the economic crash here was devastating. And the constitution and the ability to have more power to the people or from the people, I mean, it's, it's all together. Like rep, they, the government represents us. So if you don't feel like it's adequately representing you, it is our duty as individuals living here. I'm not a citizen yet. I hope to be <laughs> in the future, but it's still our duty to enforce like, you know, um, either putting people out of office who aren't accurately representing us or to put, you know, to take more action in getting bills passed or whatever else. So there's, there are probably many variants to it. I mean, maybe there's some psychology behind it too, in terms of as Icelanders and how they view that part of society. I, I don't know, mm. but I wouldn't doubt there's, there's more to it. Yeah. And just quickly before, cause we are running out of time. Okay. Um, it does seem like the issue almost completely disappeared for a few years. Mm -hmm. And as time has gone on, it's come back again and it's getting stronger. That's not always the way with issues. And I feel like mm, probably the last one year, certainly the last six months, yeah. it's really grown and it's become quite central to public debate again. Why is that happening? Is it an economic thing? Yes. And it's also really fascinating that a lot of the people involved in this fight for the new constitution, it's a mix of Icelanders and foreigners. So you have people noticing that foreigners have a different time here, even as citizens, even if they've been here for like 20 years, you know, that life is different for them. And so you're shining a spotlight kind of on society for Icelanders, for foreigners, and how sometimes that doesn't look all that different. Mm. And meaning like if you're a foreigner who doesn't typically look like an Icelander, things can be maybe more difficult for you. This depends on the individual. But there's some Icelanders who are like, well, I'm having experiences that are not exactly like yours, but I do feel like I'm not heard or I'm not, or are like the issues that are really important to me have just been put to the side. And the continuous scandals do not help <laughs> either, right? So you have like, and people are remembering things more, like with the digital age, having continuously like rapidly increasing regarding um, information, access to information and ability to kind of bring things up that have happened and things that follow you throughout your political career. I think people are, even though they can get distracted right now, they're so much more focused. Yeah. And this is what is like kind of the fear of when, in a weird way, when coronavirus goes away. The world speeds up again. Yeah, yeah, we've slowed down a lot and you realize what's important to you. 
And granted, the Icelandic government, I think, has been doing a good job and and really like trying to take care of the issues that are at hand, specifically economically regarding coronavirus. But there are so many other things that need to be improved, and people are not forgetting that, you know. So that I think is helpful for sure. Well, that seems like a good juncture. We have run out of time. Um, the week in Iceland will return next week, which is forget the date now anyway <laughs> next monday um on roof.as forward slash english roof english on facebook through the roof app and your favorite podcast provider my thanks to my guest today jules chambers and also to lydia greta for making the sound work we end today's show with samaris a song by samaris and it's called go the tongue bye for now go the
Thank you. 